Tonight, the title is Our Lord's Compassion. Our Lord's Compassion in Luke chapter 7. As we've been studying the book of Luke, what we're finding is the focus is on Jesus understanding humanity because Jesus was fully human. And as we think about this, often it's easy to miss the modeling that Jesus does for us. If you're following along in the Wearsby Commentary series on Luke, Dr. Wearsby presents our Lord's response to four different hurting people in our text tonight and his response to what their needs were. I know the Lord is using this series in my life to constantly be reminding me of the kind of attitude, the kind of response we should have to people around us. Often, when people don't get it the way we think they should, or when people don't respond the way we think they should, we get frustrated, sometimes even sharp with people. And I want you to notice our Lord. We're going to look, we'll see as many of these as what we can look at here in chapter 7. First of all, the dying servant. And this is our Lord's response to the centurion's faith. That's in verses 1 through 10. Then the despairing widow. The first one was a man who had a friend that was sick. And how much he cared, how burdened he was for a person who was sick. The second one is of a mother whose son died. And how Jesus responds to her despair. The third one is the doubting Baptist. I made that one up, but that one's really fun. Jesus' response to John the Baptist's doubts. When good Christians struggle, how did Jesus respond to them? And then the last one is the disgraceful woman. And Jesus' response to a grateful sinner. So let's dive into this. Um, the text begins, chapter 7, the text begins, Now when he had ended all his, all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. Now remember, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount from Luke's text. Usually, if I were to say Sermon on the Mount, almost everyone goes to Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. But here... Luke presents the Sermon on the Mount, but he, he lets us look at it from a different perspective. And you remember we've been studying that. Now it says, when he finished these things, he went into Capernaum. Now, so he's been up in the mountain area. Luke says he was on a plateau. Um, Matthew says he was up in the mountains. So he comes down from the mountains, and he comes to this little city called Capernaum. Capernaum had a Roman garrison and had a custom house. Capernaum... Uh, Peter lived in Capernaum. Matthew was called to be a disciple in Capernaum. It was in Capernaum that Jesus healed the nobleman's son, the demoniac that lived in the that was in the synagogue. Peter's mother-in-law was healed there. There was a paralytic man that was healed, and a woman with an with the incurable hemorrhage. She also was healed here. It was here that Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. So Capernaum was really a place that saw a lot of Jesus' activity. 
Capernaum lay on uh, one of the Sea of Galilee's kind of a small inlet, but from there you could look either direction and see the length, which was about 12 miles of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret, depending on which term you're using. And it was about six miles across from there where they had the feeding of the 5,000. So this is kind of an important area, and maybe that'll just jog your memory as for where this is. We read in verse 2, And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. I just want you to notice how Luke, as a doctor, just says he was dear unto him. If you've been in a hospital, you can tell pretty quickly who has someone there that really is burdened for a loved one. And a doctor could say he was sick and ready to die. We go on and says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with him. Now I'm going to pause there for just a moment because what I want you to notice is the centurion was so burdened he was going to use whatever resources he had to try to help his servant, which tells you something about this man. Rather than being a throwaway person, he really cared about him. And that's the side that I want you to notice because I want you to notice Jesus' response. So as we look at the dying servant and Jesus' response here, the centurion's reputation, he is worthy. Uh, verse 5, he loveth our nation. He hath built us a synagogue. He's treated us well. But I also want you to notice there's another side to this centurion that's really important. And look at verse 6 with me as we continue reading. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter unto my roof. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. It's as if what happened was the centurion sends these men, these, these religious leaders, thinking surely Jesus, you know, he's religious, Jesus is religious, surely these guys get along and they'll talk to each other and maybe this will be something that will help my, uh, my servant. But then it appears that after they were sent, it's almost as if the centurion was a very humble man and he recognized these guys might really be laying it on pretty thick. And so instead of that, he sends some friends and tells them, just tell the man, I'm not gonna try to get there and manipulate this guy. And he said, just get there and tell him, look, I'm not even worthy that you show up at my house. This is a pretty amazing thought. A Roman centurion, a man that's over a hundred soldiers, and he's saying, I'm not even worthy that this poor Jewish carpenter should come into my house. Do you see the attitude of this man? There's something unique about this man, and Jesus' response to him, and we find the man's message was, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee. But say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Now here's the point, because Jesus in verse 9 is going to respond to this, but I want you to notice something. 
He says, if you'll just speak the word, this man's illness will go away. Just like I, as a centurion, can tell my soldiers what to do. Now, think about that comparison for just a moment. What is he telling us about Jesus Christ? He is creator. He is over all sickness and over all diseases because he says the comparison of this Gentile is just like I tell my servants what to do, you can tell your created, you can tell the things that are under you to go away. Now, who else can speak and tell disease to go away? You see what he's doing? The centurion is really telling him, I recognize who you are, therefore I'm not worthy to come to you and I'm not worthy to have you come into my home because you, you're Jesus, you're God. And notice Jesus' response. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. John Phillips made this comment. He said, Say the word, and my servant shall be healed. Jesus did not have to be physically present to perform a miracle. Distance didn't mean anything to him. And that's a huge encouragement for us tonight. As we are about to pray, and we don't physically see Jesus here tonight. But distance doesn't mean anything to Jesus. He can just as easily heal from distance. He can just as easily answer from distance as he can from being right there. What an incredible thing for us to think about tonight. And our Lord's amazement, twice in the gospel, we notice that Jesus marveled. Here in Capernaum, he marveled at the faith of a Gentile. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 6, 6, in Nazareth, he marveled at the unbelief of the Jews. Here were people that had all of this information... And their response was they didn't believe. Again, an interesting thought for us to think about. For people who have, we have all of God's word written. And yet how often do we not believe? We just don't act on it. And Jesus marveled. Jesus commended a Gentile woman for having great faith when he would when he delivered from a demon, her daughter. I want you to notice also, it's going to be interesting, Jesus healed people from great distances. It didn't matter. And that's an important thing for us to remember. Next thing, let's go to verse 11, and I want you to notice the despairing widow. Jesus' response to despair. What was Jesus' response to sickness? He cared about it. He was concerned about it. He was coming to physically heal. I just think it's important we stop and think about what our Savior's like, his care. Now we come to this widow lady whose son has died. This location, Nain, was about 24, 25 miles from Capernaum, which means if... 
Let's go to verse 11. And it came to pass the day after. So let that sink in. He was in Capernaum, and the day after, there's a funeral going on in Nain, which is 24 miles away. If he walked three mile an hour and stayed at that pace all day long, how long would it take him to get from Capernaum to Nain? Eight hours. Now, I don't know how fast. A three, a three mile an hour pace would be a good pace. I mean, they could have jogged for a while, but it does say that he had a, if you look at the text, it says that he had not only his disciples, but he had a multitude of people with him. He had a crowd with him. So I'm not thinking that they were all jogging. But what it does tell you is, look at the text. Now, when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. The cruelest thing someone could say to a widow whose only son had just died would be to walk up and say, Don't, don't cry. Well, of course she's crying. She has no way to support herself. She has not only gone through the emotional trauma of losing a loved one, she also has lost um, a source of income. How is she going to survive? But Jesus had compassion on her. And Dr. Wearsby, he, he sees this as four meetings that took place that day. The first one is two crowds met. You've got the crowd with Jesus who's coming along, who has been with Jesus. I mean, the fact that they came from Capernaum to there and the crowd's just been gathering and gotten bigger, they're waiting for Jesus to do something really cool. And you've got another crowd that's coming out that is sad, that does not want to be doing what they're doing. And for the most part, it's a duty that they know they've got to discharge, but as soon as they can, they want to go back because it is so unpleasant. And these two groups collide. Think of the Lord's timing on this. He had to have left at least eight hours earlier to have gotten to Nain when these people were coming out of the city. The sun probably in all probability had been wrapped. So totally wrapped, was in a box, but probably no lid on this box as and people were taking turns. A way of showing honor was they would have pallbearers and they would stop and then more people would pick it up and help carry that burden and then they would set it down and more people would come so that everyone could participate in what was taking place. And Jesus gets there right when they're going out of the city to the cemetery. Wow, is that lucky or what? I mean, those are terms we usually use, aren't they? Wow, that was really, that was really fortunate. For the spiritual ones, we say, well, we are, that's fortunate because you're not, you're not lucky. But the reality was, you know, Jesus was always working on a divine timetable. Everything he did. And what I want you to notice is everything that we're going to see, Jesus cared about the individual. Um, There were two only sons that met that day. I hadn't thought about that until Dr. Wearsby brought that up. Two only sons. An only son 
that was heading to the cemetery and needed to be alive, and an only son that was heading to the cross that was going to die. Two sufferers met Jesus, the man of sorrows, and the widow, a mother of sorrows. You know, sometimes we don't know how to relate to people who hurt. We try. We don't know how to relate. Jesus does. Jesus knows how to relate. And then the last one that Dr. Wearsby mentioned was two enemies met. Jesus faced death, the last enemy, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Jesus defeated him. You have um, John Phillips made this interesting observation. He said, on, three, on the three occasions when the Lord raised the dead, he spoke to them just like they could hear him. And they could. Because when you die, you're going to live somewhere forever. When you die, you're not gone. Now, when my father died, when my mother died, when other family members have died, I can't communicate with them. But the Lord of all could speak to them not only here on earth, but could speak to them where they were. To Jairus' daughter, he said, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. To the young man, he said, young men, I say unto thee, arise. To Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. He just spoke. What I want you to notice is, to a lady that was despairing, I mean, there were people dying all over. Yet Jesus came and he didn't focus on all that were dying. He focused on the individual. And he cared for this lady. And he healed. Let's go to verse 18. Verse 18, we read, And John, calling unto two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another. Let's pause for just a moment. What do you remember about John and Jesus's relationship? They are relatives. What do you remember about when Mary walks in and Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant, how does John the Baptist respond when Jesus comes near? He reacts immediately. All of John's life up to this point had been focused on prepare ye the way of the Lord. John, in John chapter 1, says, Behold, that's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John is saying, this is the Messiah. Now we read this text. John sends message and says, Art thou he that should come or look we for another? <laughs> John! John! 
John of anybody, John, why would you do this? John, you know better. I mean, can't, can't you see this coming? You know better. John, you should, John, why are you doubting? But that's not what Jesus did. Stop and think for a moment. John had been in prison now for several months. He knew what Jesus was doing because his own disciples had been keeping him up on what was going on. It had to be difficult for a guy who was used to living out in the wild, out in the desert, out in the free and open, to be in a cell block, to be in a prison, to be incarcerated. The physical and emotional side of John Can we allow a Bible character to have a physical and emotional side? How would we respond when someone that we've looked up to all of a sudden begins questioning things that we would say, whoa, where'd that come from? Well, notice Jesus' response. Notice our understanding Savior. So his disciples, verse 20, when the men were coming to him and said, John the Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of the evil spirits, and of many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, to the poor, the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Jesus literally is quoting out of Isaiah chapter 61 of what the Messiah would do. The understanding Savior. You know, maybe it's not to you, but it's strangely comforting to me to know that spiritual leaders have days of doubt and uncertainty. I don't know if that encourages you or not, it does me. That no matter who we are, we go through hard days and we doubt. Moses was ready to quit on one occasion. Elijah on another. Jeroboam on another. Even Paul says, I know what it's like to just want to die. In John's case, his inquiry was not born out of unbelief. But, not, but doubts that were nourished by physical and emotional strain. When you see someone who has done well and they're struggling, that's not the time to get out the shamey finger and that's not the time to start kicking dirt and dust at them. That's the time to do what Jesus said to do. You come alongside them and you share your testimony. Look, I know it's hard right now, Can I just encourage you with what God's done for me? Look what God's done. You know how you help someone who's doubting? It's not to shame them. It's to encourage them. It's to bring them along. Be patient with those who are struggling. You know, if you have a large group mentality, you leave the individuals behind. Those who are discouraged confused, hurting, and doubting. 
Well, I don't know what's wrong with them. But we got our group, so we go on. Jesus, in the large groups, saw individuals. Jesus' ministry always focused on the individual. He sometimes would help many individuals at one time. Feeding of the 5,000. But the focus was always on the person. The individual could choose, but they were not left behind as much as they were allowed the choices for whether or not they would follow. In our group, there are going to be times when people are going to get discouraged. Don't, don't get out the shamey fingers. Instead, come alongside. Encourage them with what you have seen your God do. People need to see God. I want you to notice one other thing. He then goes on and talks about John the Baptist, and he says, um, What went ye out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What went ye forth to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? A man that had great power? Or did, you, did you go out to see a guy that had rich friends? A guy that had lots of things? He said, what went ye forth to see? A prophet? But I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way. In chapter 6, we read he is the last of the prophets. How is the least person? And then he's going to say, yet he's the greatest, and yet he's the least. Um, let, me, let me find the wording here. Verse 28, For I say unto you, among these that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What's this describing for us? It's not talking about his character or his ministry. It's talking about the fact that John was the herald of the king, announcing the kingdom. He was the last of the prophets. Believers today are children of the kingdom and friends of the king. John's ministry was the turning point both from uh, the nation's history and God's plan of redemption. So all of a sudden we realize, what was John the Baptist? And, and because of some of the doctrines that some of us have, have discussed and wrestled through, you just need to understand something. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament. He wasn't the beginning of the New Testament. That's a really important distinction that Jesus draws. It's important that you recognize that. Um, we're going to pause there this evening. We won't get into the last, uh, the disgraceful woman, Jesus' response to gratefulness. But I do want you to notice this. Um, Luke reminds us of our Lord's compassion. How he understands and responds to our needs. Whether it was a man who had a dying friend, a mom who had lost a loved one, a follower who was discouraged, or had we finished this last one, a lady whose past was really hard. What was Jesus' response to each one of these people 
who had totally different needs? Compassion. Is it okay for you to be kind to people who are going through hard times? Yes. You can come along and encourage someone, but how do you encourage someone who's discouraged, someone who's despairing, someone who's gone through hard times or maybe physically is really low at this point? Share with them what great things God has done. If there's anything each of us need is we need a clear view of what our God is like. Each one has a need. Each one Jesus cared about rather than rebuking them for their failure.